so Psalm 33. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. That's hardly the rousing welcome I was hoping for. We can actually see each other's faces this morning. Good morning, church. Thanks, particularly one person who was loud at the back. So I'm writing this sermon on Thursday morning, uh, and as I sit in front of my computer screen, a giant wave of anxiety kind of collapses over me. I'm anxious about the sermon deadline. I need to have it done by Thursday night because I knew apprentices, Noah and Mitch, are starting on Friday, and I need to give the day to them. I'm anxious about the cricket score because Usman Khawaja is on 90. Will he get to 100? I'm anxious about the, the possibility of, of a church building opening up for us, but then there's a lot of red tape associated and I've got so many questions. At this stage, just because you might be wondering, still lots of questions, nothing definitive there. I'm anxious because there's a house uh, for sale kind of at the end of our street or just beyond it, which kind of works well for our family, but it's opposite a factory, and I want to know whether that factory is still running, and I want to know if it's still running, will they kind of do up the, uh, the aesthetic because it's pretty ugly, and how much noise will it make? Will it, will it be over 70 decibels? What is 70 decibels? Is that like a, a refrigerator, or is that like a hairdryer, or is that like a, a race car? And then I'm worried too much because I've eaten so much over Christmas that the pants my mum gave me for Christmas don't fit anymore. And then I wonder, will I lose weight over summer to, to fit these pants or will they join the four other pants I have in my cupboard that one day I'll fit, I promise. And then I'm worried about all the money that I've spent on Uber Eats over the last two weeks. And then I'm worried about whether or not we're going to have face masks on Sunday and then whether you'll come because it just sucks wearing face masks. And then I'm worried more seriously about 
well, the sins in my life, the things that I keep on repeating and like a dog returning to its vomit, and then I'm worried about people in this church who are struggling, and then I'm worried about fractures in, in this community and other communities. And then I'm worried about sick people in this congregation and in my family, and, and I'm kind of harassed and overcome by all these pressures. And then added to my anxiety is guilt, because I know as I write the sermon that I'm writing a sermon on how to deal with anxiety in your life. And perhaps it shouldn't be a sermon on anxiety. Perhaps it should be a sermon on hypocrisy. Because how can I tell you to break free of a net that I'm stuck in as well? You see, anxiety is, is my middle name and it's probably yours too. Author Mark Sayers says this of modern life. It is ambient, environmental anxiety that our culture lives and moves and has its being within. It's the pressure that builds. It, it's a hum like a computer in the background of our contemporary lives. And I, I think we feel that, don't we? It's the hum, it's that kind of pressure on our chest that never seems to kind of abate and go away. a theologian of mine that I particularly like called Peter Lightheart. He, he describes it like this, and he does it better than I could paraphrase, so I'm going I'm to read it and read it slowly to you. The old city, the city of earth, is a city of anxiety. For Jesus, anxiety is not just a feeling or an emotion that we privately experience. Uh, it is that, but it is also the organising principle of a world a structure, a regime, a master, a power. Anxiety is the ether of the world outside the kingdom of God. Anxiety keeps the stores open 24-7. Anxiety keeps the highways busy until the wee hours of the morning. Anxiety keeps people working late at the office. Anxiety is what builds skyscrapers. It's what drives consumer spending. No wonder you and I have anxiety as our middle name. It's, it's everywhere. It's it's what our culture breeds, feeds, cut us, and it's what we bleed. But get behind the question and ask this, what is it that drives this anxiety? What is the force behind this force that compels and propels us forward? What feeds the beast? Lightheart continues, anxiety is driven by a simple insight. The insight is that we are limited creatures and the particular fact that the future sets the boundary of our limitations. We cannot see past the next moment, much less than that next day or month. Yet we want to be able to manage things. We want to be able to secure our future. We want to be able to know something about what we will eat, drink, wear, do next year, five years' time, ten years' time, but we can't. If you know that you can't manage the future, and yet you try to manage the future, there can only be one result. Anxiety. This is the way of the world. I, I think this kind of description, this dynamic of how the world works, anxiety riddled as, as it is, is, is captured really beautifully by a band that I loved at, at high school, which was also the time when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, a band called Powderfinger. 
uh, and they describe it like this. It's coming round again, slowly creeping hand of time and its command. Soon enough it comes and settles in its place, its shadow in my face, puts pressure in my day. This life will it slipping right through my hands. These days turned out nothing. These days turned out nothing like I had planned. So I think he captures there beautifully the pressure that comes from trying to plan and control, from, from, to micromanage, to, to guarantee our future. That is the bread and butter of anxiety. That is our cultural malaise, the, the poison that we all drink. And if that is the problem, and if the tendrils capture all of us at times at certain points, what is the solution? How do we break free? Well, there is no silver bullet, unfortunately. That is to say, you're not going to leave this morning having all your anxieties in your life cured, your worries removed. That, I suspect, if you've been to church before, is not going to shock you. Nonetheless, I do think there are some things that help. Insights that if we kind of capture, if we observe, and then we apply then maybe by God's grace we'll see some of that anxiety drain out in our lives, freed from its tendrils. And so I, I want to share three insights that are offered in a song. It's not Powderfinger from 2003. It's probably David from 1003 BC. That's our focus this morning. Psalm 33, book written, a song written about 3,000 years ago. And... It's got three observations that I think are helpful when we think about our anxiety. And they're not rocket science, you're not going to be blown over, but here they are, one, two, three. One, we are powerless. Two, God is powerful. And three, God is love-filled. We are powerless, God is powerful, God is love-filled. And all three kind of work in tandem together. So let's start off with our first observation, at least cheery, we are powerless. And what I mean by that is that we are utterly unable to control our future, utterly unable to guarantee anything with certainty after this next breath. And the author of the, the psalm, or we should probably say the poet of the, the lyricist of the song, he says this in verse 10. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the people. We make plans, but often in vain. Or verse 16, no king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his, greatest, by his great strength. A horse in a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. Perhaps to modernize this, no man or woman is saved by the size of their property portfolio, their stock options, no student redeemed by their academic achievement. Health care is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite the wonders of technology and modern medicine, it cannot save us. And this isn't our point that's particularly hard to make, is it? 2020 and 2021 have been a stark reminder of how weak and powerless we are as a people. Now, uh, whether or not it was synthesised in a lamb or the offspring of some weird bat, pangolin, human hybrid, whatever, wherever it's from, that microscopic virus 
has brought the world for more than 24 months to its knees. Wash hands, sanitize, lockdowns, lockups, face mask on, face mask off. One jab, two jab, three jabs, border shut, borders closed, border shut, borders closed, borders shut. Pretty much shut in WA. Beta, Delta, Omicron. We have been dancing to the Rona's deadly tune for 24 years. No, 24 feels like that. <laughs> it really does, 24 months. He says jump and, and we say how high. With all our technology, all our progress, all our power brought to our knees, susceptible, weak. And it's not just the virus, is it? To weather, to misfortune, to stock markets that no one really seems to understand at all. You see, we can't control the next second, let alone our next year. And so as we stare out at 2022, full of hope, as we make plans, it's worth remembering what the apostle, or rather the writer James says in James chapter 4 in the New Testament. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a, spend a year there or carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. We are powerless in the face of the future. Now, you might well at this point ask, how exactly is that helping, Matt? Does that not just actually compound my anxiety all the more? In fact, all you're doing is kind of proving my point. There's so much to be worrying about. Well, two things. One, I would just say that, as Jesus observes, worrying isn't really helping anyone. In Matthew 6, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Just letting go would save a giant bundle of nervous energy. You can't control it. Don't die of exhaustion trying to control it. As my father used to say as a year four when I was very worried about my incredibly strict teacher, Mrs. Wayne, he used to say, don't worry, worry, and worry won't worry you. Didn't work, but he tried. Of course, you need something else, don't you? Because we're not saying let it go and leave it up to blind fate. If, if that's all I was to get up here and say, leave it to the celestial roll of the dice then it would be a pretty hopeless message. But we're not leaving it up to fate or chance. We're talking about leaving it up to someone, something, some person who is, in fact, powerful enough to control and to know the future. Brings us to point number two. One is we are powerless. Number two, God is powerful. The author, the lyricist behind the psalm wants us to be in awe of the majesty of God's power. Verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. I mean, that's, that's an incredible picture 3,000 years ago, but an even more mind-boggling prospect 
in 2021. The universe, 46 billion light years stretching all around us, populated by an infinite array of of stars, some 2,000 times bigger than our sun, and then black holes vastly bigger than those stars, all swirling about in galaxies and solar systems way too large to comprehend. All of this was the breath of God. As one poet puts it, capturing creation, silently, one by one, in the infinite meadow of heaven, blossomed lovely stars, the forget-me-not of angels. We can't even begin to fathom the darkest recesses of space, and yet it was merely by God speaking that it came to be. And then our our, our poet, he moves from the celestial, call it, to the more mundane and terrestrial. Verse 7, he gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. I actually really love, it's, it's kind of actually a cute image. It's kind of majestic, but also kind of cute. It's like God is a shopkeeper. He's busy, busy away putting away all the ingredients of his creation at that night. Indian Ocean into this container, Pacific Ocean into this container, hurricanes and cyclones, better secure that lid. Remember when we left that off? It's a picture of God's mastery of the material order. You see, we are limited, finite, and and powerless, and yet God is unlimited, infinite, and awesomely powerful. We need not be anxious because He not need be anxious because He is in control of all. You can think of it like this. The future for us is a book that has not been published But for God, it's nothing more and nothing less than the book he wrote. You see, our view is so limited, and yet he can see all. Have a look at verses 13 and 14. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He forms the heart of all. He considers everything they do. He makes all knows all, sustains all. Which means while we can't trust our plans because we can do none of those things, we can trust His. Verse 11, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of His heart throughout all generations. We are powerless, God is powerful. But that's only two steps in three. Because the question does remain, what does God actually do with that power? Because being all-powerful doesn't necessarily mean that you're all good. In fact, it's really not hard to conjure an image of an all-powerful being that uses their power for evil, for their own good. In fact, you really, if you're honest, only need to stare at yourself in the mirror. What would you do if you were given unlimited power? Like an African dictator, it might be okay for the first term but then it's going to get really messy really quickly. 
But our psalmist, he tells us that this unlimited power that God has at his disposal is only matched by his love. Verse 4, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord, verse 5, loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. Verse 18, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him on those who hope in his unfailing love. Verse 22, may your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. The theme that reoccurs most is actually not God's might and authority, but actually the theme of his faithful love. Which brings us to point number three, our final one. God is love-filled. God is love-filled. And if you're here this morning as a, as a kind of regular Vic Park or alternative, char, alternative church attendee, I'm going to have a punt and say that I think this is the one that practically you struggle with the most. I mean, I'm powerless. Yeah, I, I get that. Try and see me struggle to open a jar of pickles. You don't need to convince me. God is powerful, yeah, all of this creation had to come from somewhere and whoever kind of brought it about is stupendously powerful, that's a given. But that this all-powerful being is good, is loving, is lovely, I mean, how can he be good if so often he is not good to us? I mean, you say he can see all. Has he seen my life, my, my pressures, my trauma, my nightmares, my suffering, my tears, my deadlines, all of the expectations that crowd upon me? See, how can he see all that and do nothing with it? And I think this is the, the, the kind of taproot, the deepest root of much of our anxiety is we can't leave things in his hands because we don't trust that he cares as much about us as we do. You and I, we fret, we panic, we sweat, we micromanage, we control because we just don't trust him. And we do that despite the fact that time and time and time again, he proves his goodness, his love, his grace to us. In fact, here's, here's a, little, a little statistic that you're probably not aware of. According to recent UK research, this is not, sorry, this is not a Christian truth, this is a, a kind of universal human truth. According to this research, 91.4% oddly precise, 91.4% of things that you and I are anxious about do not come about. 91.4%. And that's, that's true, isn't it? If you think about it anecdotally in my life as I think about all the things that I stress about, yeah, one in ten probably come about, if that. You see, God is kinder to us than we are to ourselves. That is, God gives us a future that is kinder than the one we write for ourselves. And, yeah, I haven't forgotten about the 8.6%. You see, even when, when that 1 in 10 fear is realised, 
time and time again, and with the benefit often of time, we see how he's used our suffering for our maturity, the pain he gives us for our growth, the death that he works in our lives to bring about resurrection power in us. It's often the darkness that pushes us towards the light of his love and grace. But of course we can go on further, can't we? Because so often we doubt him despite the fact that not only has he given us life, that he sustains our every moment, but also not just breath, not just life, but he gives us that which is most precious, most dear to him, the apple of his eye, the object of his greatest joy and affection, his perfect, beautiful son, Jesus. He gave to us because he loves us. He's not withholding anything from us if he gives us what is most precious to him. Surely we can trust a God whose love and power is like the love and power of the cross. I had this um, realisation a few years ago now as I was waiting in the uh, pre-op room for, for surgery. I was, um, I don't know if you've experienced those rooms, but they said it's like negative 500 degrees. It's freezing. I think they're kind of trying to freeze your brain so you don't worry too much. But it wasn't working. I was flustered and anxious. I was panicking. I had kind of worked myself up into kind of like a mini state. And then I had just a, a simple realisation that took away almost, not all, but almost all of my fear. And it was this. That surgeon that's about to wheel me in, do his thing, he's for me. He wants to help, he wants to heal me. He's not knocking me out so that he can torture me, but to care for me. And if I can trust my fallible, broken, sinful surgeon with my unconscious self, Surely I can trust God with everything I'm unconscious of. My future, my finances, my results, my projects, my children, my relationships, my current and future spouse. Now, when it came to the surgeon, some, some anxiety did remain. After all, there's stuff outside of his control, reactions to drugs, technological malfunctions, the limits of his skill. But not so with God. No surprises with him. Nothing beyond his reach. Nothing beyond his limits. And so, can I say, as we stare out at 2022, I don't know the future that lies in store for you or for me. But there is someone who does. Someone who we can trust is good and loving. And for us Christians, has nothing but the best intentions at his heart.
Well, I was weighing up whether to end there. I'm going to keep going because it's shorter than I normally preach, so sorry to disappoint. I've got a couple of practical ways of kind of living this out that I think might be, might be helpful for us. Um, and I trust at least two of the three come directly from the passage. Uh, so, so, so these are kind of three ways of grounding what, like what I've just said. Um, so first one is, uh, for 2020, man, it is 2022, right? 2022. Um, he's been, seek patience. Have a look at verse 20. Uh, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. I think part of reducing anxiety is becoming more weightful, more willing to give time to a response. You see, we live in an instant world, don't we? We get instant responses to, to almost everything, what we order, when we communicate, when we plan. But God's time frame is seldom as instantaneous as ours. Often his answer takes longer than we'd like. So I think part of uh, thinking about anxiety is being more patient to wait for answers. Not, not, not demanding, trusting his time frame and his goodness and not our own. Uh, number two, um, it's interesting, I was listening to a, um, a uh, podcast only a couple of days ago by a kind of eminent Christian psychologist uh, and the person interviewing, the interviewer said to him, the interviewee, oh, what's the one bit of advice that you'd give uh, for Christians listening to this? And, and his, number, his number one was this, just like slow down, kind of breathe. See, my, my uh, browser on my computer is Safari or whatever, it has, I think it has 14 to 20 tabs open kind of all the time. And so Matt's endlessly kind of nervously darting between them. I think many of us have that many or more tabs open in the kind of browser of our mind. And these, these kind of tabs, they run interference on our thoughts so often, and, and of course our prayers. And so we have to slow down. In fact, it's interesting that the, the, the psalm begins like this, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to Him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. It's a wonderful little summary of adoration, responding to the goodness of God. And yet that, that kind of thing doesn't come naturally to me. See, if I don't plan that reflection on the goodness of God, it's just, it's just not going to happen. I have to slow down enough to see the wonder and glory and unfailing love of God unfurl in my life before me. And I can't, I won't do that if I'm always watching, scrolling, talking, driving, planning. I have to take time to breathe, to reflect. I wonder, that's probably why Scripture talks so much about meditating on Scripture. And last one, and it's kind of obligatory, but, but necessarily so, a point about prayer. see, acknowledging our powerlessness, acknowledging His power and His goodness is something 
but it's not everything. We still need to take the thing which is churning our soul up to him in prayer. The Apostle Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I, I, it's kind of gross, but I think of it as kind of, kind of like vomiting up all my pressure in prayer. And now it's just kind of up in the open. Now God can kind of mop it up. Now, we don't do this perfectly. Right? Don't feel guilty but at the end of the surgeon fat the sermon for having anxiety in your life because we all do it. In fact, even the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians 4 in that really famous chapter, do not be anxious about anything. But two chapters ago, he told us that he's really anxious about his brother Timothy. You see, there will always be pressure in our day. There will always be that hum in the background. But that doesn't mean like the rest of the world that we have to dance to its tune doesn't mean that we let that be the thing which dictates, drives us. The children have been good. I think I'm going to pray to close. Father, you know that our lives are full of pressure. You know our hearts better than we know our own selves. You can see the way that this worry deforms and shapes us. I pray that you might help us to begin trusting you more than we trust ourselves. I pray that you might help us to be able to see your goodness, your mercy and your love. May see it in our world and in our lives, and even when that is bare, may we see it ultimately in the gospel. Knowing that you spared not your one and only son because you loved us so dearly. In Jesus' name, amen.